God, we will forever give you thanks. Uh, We look forward to that time when we get to do that in heaven with you. Salvation belongs to you. We were created to know you and to worship you. And God, I pray that now we would look into what you have revealed to us and the result would be that we would want to praise you even more right here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in this sermon series on heaven. This is week two out of four that we're doing in it. And one of the reasons I'm doing this sermon series is because too many people have too small of a view of heaven. Like, like Brian mentioned, this, this word picture I've had in my mind, this, I didn't necessarily think of it as a little yellow house. That's how I kind of described a mansion. But, no. but even that, I think far too many people have too small of a view of heaven. And for so many Christians even, there's this nagging question that comes along with it. Will I enjoy heaven? If I'm going to be there forever, is it going to be boring? For too many people, when they think of heaven, all they think of is harps and clouds. And if that's all that it were, I think we would have to ask that question. Am I going to enjoy that forever? But I think that the biblical picture is much richer than that. So there's there's a couple of reasons I want to do this sermon series. And and one of them, and this is in your bulletin, the the fill-in-the-blank section there, heaven will be better than we can imagine. Heaven will be better than we can imagine. Now, the verses I'm going to read now don't necessarily talk specifically about heaven, but they certainly apply to heaven. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our God is able to do more than we can imagine. And if you think about what heaven is then, don't you think that it's probably going to be better than we can imagine? And it's going to last forever and ever in the power of God. See, the all-powerful God of the universe has revealed to us a partial picture of heaven. What we see in the Bible is just these glimpses, these little foretastes of what heaven is going to be like. And it will be an awesome place for those who know Jesus. Now, the second line there in your bulletin, the second reason we're doing this sermon series, the reason we're studying heaven now is because it can remind us to pursue the God of heaven now. The best part about heaven, I think, is God and our relationship with him. Well, we have a relationship with him now, and learning these wonderful things about what he's revealed about heaven to us should cause us to pursue him even more right now. You see, we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. The Bible is very clear about that. There are two places. One's really good and one is terribly awful. And we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And we all have some thoughts of eternity in our mind. I've been asking this question, how do you picture heaven? And, you know, it's funny. You should try it around the table today. How do you picture heaven? Do you have this mental picture? And I'm sure they're way off. Every one of ours is way off. Okay, so let's just get that straight first and foremost. But it's kind of fun, nevertheless, I think we all have thoughts of eternity. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in our hearts. So the reason we think about it is because it's real. And because we're going to spend eternity somewhere. And I want us to not only have a better picture of heaven, but even more than that, I want us to have a better picture of the God of heaven. And I think that studying heaven can help us see more of who he is. Think about all these wonderful things that God wants us to know about heaven. 
So we're studying heaven. And technically what we're studying is the new heaven and the new earth. We're looking at the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. It's called the new heaven and the new earth, or it's also called the holy city. It's also called the new Jerusalem. It's the last two chapters of the Bible. And in the section we're looking at today, we're going to see heaven described as this awe-inspiring city in the shape of a cube, about 1,400 miles wide and long and high. Now, if you just take the the width and the length of it, the the description we have in the Bible, and and who knows if this is just a vision that the Apostle John saw or if it's actually describing the actual length of heaven, but it's about two-thirds the size of the continental United States. So you take the, the 48 states, lop off a third of it, and that's the, the square footage that the picture of heaven is described. But then it also says in here that it's going to be about 1,400 miles high. Now, try to imagine that, and let me just tell you, you can't, because let me, let me tell you why. Tallest mountain on Earth is what? Mount Everest. Less than six miles high. So that's tallest place that you know you, we think of whoa look how big it is that's six miles high and it's, it's described here in heaven 1400 miles high and I can't fathom you know I'm kind of a math guy and I think if it's a cube and there's something that high then the slope the continual slope would be 45 degrees and it also says in here that the great street is going to be made of gold and when I think of those things the thought that's been popping into my mind this week is it sounds slippery like <laughs> really you know, steep and made of gold. And, uh, but again, this is just my, my human mind trying to figure it out. And I, I, I just can't. I just can't. And I imagine the Apostle John, as he saw this, he's probably thinking to himself, like, whoa, what is that? How do I describe that? The truth is, we will have resurrected, perfect bodies. We will live in a perfect place made by God himself, for us, and it will be a wonderful place. And, and if all you can think about is clouds and harps, trust me, it'll be much better than that. And again, we can't fully understand heaven, but God has revealed some things about heaven that he wants us to know nonetheless. So we're studying heaven again, not just to get a better glimpse of heaven, but also to get a better glimpse of the God who wants us to live with him for all eternity. So today we're going to look at Revelation 21, verses 15 through 27. And one thing that's neat, some of you may want to just go home and study this on your own. I hadn't realized this until this week when I started studying this passage, but a bunch of things that we see in this passage come from Isaiah 60. So I I just thought that was pretty neat. And uh, one of the things that reminds me of is that the book of Revelation just doesn't come in at the end of the Bible and change change the whole story. It's really just the culmination of the whole story, a story in which God has always wanted his people to live with him in a perfect place. Okay, so we're going to look at Revelation 21. I'm going to start in verse 15 and read through the end of the chapter. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, or that's about 1,400 miles, in length, and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick, although that word thick... We don't know for sure if it's describing the thickness or the height of the wall. It was 144 cubits by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper in a city of pure gold, as pure as glass. 
The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each, made, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, I have three points for you to to consider today about heaven. And my first point is the same as my first point from last week, and here it is. Will you be in or out? Again, I think this is the one that we for sure, for sure have to get right about heaven. And it it pops up in our passage again today in verse 27, where it says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And by the way, the Lamb is Jesus Christ. So the Lamb's book of life determines who gets in and who stays out. And if you want to get into heaven then, your name has to be in that book. How do we get our names in that book? Well, if the book belongs to Jesus then you have to belong to Jesus. That's, that's the simple answer for it. Um, there's a theologian I read this week, his name is Grant Osborne, and he made this really cool connection between the gates of heaven here and the door that we saw earlier in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. In Revelation 3:20, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That verse was incredibly important to me as I was figuring out what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I heard it, there was a, a preacher at a chapel service that I was at. He was talking about how Jesus knocks on the door of our heart. So the door in Revelation 3.20, it's like the door of our heart. And it, this guy said Jesus is waiting for us to open the door so that he could come in. And in that verse it says that he will come in and eat with us. And so if you ever hear evangelicals talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is one of the verses we get it from. That God's desire, Jesus' desire, is for us to hear him knocking and to open the door of our hearts to him, to allow him in, to receive him as Savior and Lord. To receive him as Savior, meaning that we know that we're sinners and we need to be forgiven. And to receive him as Lord, meaning that we give our lives to him, to follow him as King. So I hope you've done that. I hope you have opened the door of your heart to Jesus Christ. Uh, Here's how Grant Osborne put it. We will only enter the new Jerusalem when we have allowed Jesus to enter our lives. There's, there's lots of word pictures in the book of Revelation, but I love this idea of Jesus waiting for us to open the door of our hearts and then God opening up the gates of heaven to those who have received Jesus. So the application point for my first point here, if you haven't yet, repent and receive Jesus. To repent means you just be honest with him about your sin. Confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. And to receive Jesus means that you, you ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Ask him to come into your heart and commit to living your life with him and for him. So that's the important question in regard to heaven. Are you in or out? 
But here's the interesting thing. One of the things that I've been learning about heaven and, and about people's response to heaven, some people think that's all there is to it. Some people think that it's just a, simply a matter of getting into heaven, and, and that's all we have to think about here on earth. It's like a, you know, an immunization. I, I got that shot back when I was 12 years old, so I don't, I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to worry about getting cholera or typhoid anymore. That's the way some people think about heaven. But there's much more to it than that. See, our goal shouldn't merely be to get into heaven. Our goal should be to know God more and more now and invest in the things that he wants us to invest our lives in. Because the Bible tells us that we are to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. So if there's treasures to store up, we should be figuring out how to store up those treasures. And in my next two points, I want to talk about some of those treasures that are in heaven so that we can learn how to store up treasures for ourselves there. So my second point today, and it's pretty similar to my second point of last week, my third point will be different, so I'm, I'm not just recycling my same sermon here, but uh, second point, in heaven we will have a perfect relationship with God. A perfect relationship with God. Now, the reason it's similar to last week is because the description here is pretty similar to last week, and especially I want to look at verse 22 that says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now it's interesting. The Apostle John is getting this tour of heaven and he was perhaps looking for the temple. Where's the temple? I want to see the temple. I bet that will be pretty cool looking. And he didn't see one. And the reason is, is because it says God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. By the way, there's just another quick little uh, teaching on the Trinity there both the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. Temple. We talked about that language last week. The best part about the earthly temple was that God was there. That was the place where God said that he would meet with his people. And it was separated off behind a curtain, behind the Holy of Holies. It was a specific place in that temple where God would meet with his people. Now, it's it's everywhere. In heaven, God will always be there and we will always be able to meet with God. We will always be able to be in the Holy of Holies with him. We will have a perfect relationship with him wherever we go there. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? No more sin messing up our relationship with God, but perfection there. Now, we see a foretaste of this in the New Testament. Jesus referred to himself as the temple in John 2.19, he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again. He was talking about his body. And then also, for those of us who have received Jesus, we've also received the Holy Spirit. And our bodies are called a temple of the Holy Spirit. So right now we have this foretaste of what will be true in heaven. In heaven we'll have this perfect relationship with God. But right now we have a relationship with Jesus. Right now we have the Holy Spirit filling us. And we can meet with God. But now we walk by faith, and, and later in heaven, we will walk by sight. It says in, in the section we'll look at next week that we'll see God's face, and we'll walk with him. So what should we do? If that's the relationship we're going to have with God there, what we should be doing now to store up treasures for heaven is to work on a relationship with him here. And then also in verse 23, it says, the city, so the the new Jerusalem, new heaven and the new earth, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. No need for lights there, because God is the light. So if you're packing for heaven, you don't have to worry about bringing a flashlight, okay? God has got that part of it covered very well. 
God is light. In John, 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. For God to be light means that he will always show us which way to go. I love this about God. In his perfection, he will show us what is good and right. He will show us which way to go. Heaven will constantly be filled with God giving us that light. And I believe it's a spiritual sort of a light as well. That in our hearts, knowing what is right, knowing how best to honor God. In heaven, we have this perfect picture of God being all that we, we need. There will be nothing there to make us worry. No night, nothing impure will ever enter it. I, I love this. It says that the gates of heaven will always be open. Why is that? Because there's no enemies there. Think about an, an earthly city. You know, think about a city 2,000 years ago and, and the city gates. They would have those city gates be open during the day so that people could go in and out for commerce or for travel. Um, but at nighttime, they would close those gates because nighttime would be when they would be most prone to being attacked. So they would close those gates to keep the enemies out. But in heaven, it says that nothing impure will ever enter it. There, there's no enemy. There's no death. It says in the Bible, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And in heaven, there will be no more death. Nothing to make us worry. God will perfectly take care of everything. God will be with us. Now, as I, as I keep saying throughout this sermon series, that's the best part about heaven, is our perfect relationship with God there. He's the temple. He's our light. And, and the point of telling you all this now, and I think the, point, the reason why God has revealed this to us now, is so that we could not only know that it's true there, but so that we could look at the God of heaven now and say, thank you, God, that you're my light now. Thank you that I can meet with you now through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ. So the application here simply is that we are to walk with God now. When Jesus told us, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, he didn't just mean that, oh, eventually you'll get to walk with me in heaven. He meant that now we can walk with him. Our goal should be to live rightly now. That's why Matthew 6.20 says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, think of it this way. If the best treasure in heaven is knowing God, how do we store up treasures here? We get to know God more and more. We worship Him. We spend time with Him in reading the Bible and in prayer and in talking to other people about Him and in introducing other people to Him. As we meet with God here, I think we store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. See, there's clearly a judgment coming, and oftentimes we think only of that judgment as an in or out sort of judgment. But the Bible is actually pretty clear there is another judgment, even for us believers, and the judgment is of our works. And at that judgment, there will be rewards given to those who rightly walk with God here. So what should we do here? How do we store up treasures for ourselves here? It's by doing what God wants us to do. By constantly seeking Him now and doing what He wants us to do. So get to know Him more and more. There are rewards coming. And I want to show you now some of those rewards as we move on to the third point here. My third point is that heaven will be a magnificent city. A magnificent city. In my introduction, I described some of the dimensions of the city. And again, it'll be like unlike anything we can ever imagine. It, in verses 15 to 21, we see more of the brilliance of this city, all the precious stones there. 
and the pearls, the gates made out of a single pearl, and the, the city made out of gold. Heaven will be a magnificent place made by a creative God. I, and I, that's one of the things I think is neat about heaven. God, in all his creativity, has made this perfect, wonderful place that we get to live in forever. I, I think that'll be pretty cool to see and to live in. A, a pastor, I, I mentioned this last week, but a pastor described heaven to me as being more real than we can imagine. So we, we can't really get this mental picture right in our minds right now. I saw a picture of heaven once and I think of that like, yeah, that maybe, maybe describes it a little bit. Heaven will be more real than you can imagine and you will be an upgraded you. We'll get to enjoy it forever. And, and the Apostle John here is simply trying to describe the indescribable. Now, I don't like the word indescribable a lot. If somebody asks you, how is that soup? Oh, it's indescribable. Well, you just described that soup as being indescribable. So kind of, kind of a misnomer to me. But I think when we're talking about heaven, the word indescribable does it justice. It, it will be glorious in every way. Now think of it this way. Have you ever dreamed about visiting a city on earth? Are, do you have any, any cities on your bucket list that you would like to get to eventually? Maybe some of you are thinking of Paris. And, uh, you know, you want to go up the Eiffel Tower and walk along the banks of the Seine River and sip cafe at a cafe. Um, one of the cities I think about wanting to visit is San Francisco. Not, not for moral reasons, but uh, for engineering reasons. I was a uh, civil engineering student, and two of the best bridges in the world, the best bridges in the world are there, uh, and I would love to go and visit them. Um, our cities here on earth in some ways are magnificent places. You think about these cities and you think about the, all the commerce that goes into them, whether by semi or by boat or by train. You think about the goods of the world being brought into these cities so that the people can enjoy them. You think of these cities as vibrant places full of life. Now I realize that some of you prefer more rural settings, but don't worry, God will take care of that. And in fact, next week we'll talk about fruit and crops and things like that. But uh, this picture of a heavenly city is of a fully vibrant place. And as I said earlier, I think that too many people have too small of a picture of it and, and think it'll be boring. But if you think heaven's going to be boring, I want you to look at verses 24, and 20, 24 through 26 with me again. I'm going to read them. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Okay. Kings and nations of the earth bringing splendor and honor and glory into this city. It reminds me of 1 Kings 10.2 where the Queen of Sheba visited King Solomon and she came with a gift. It says there, Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon. She, came, she was visiting a king and she came with gifts. The best gifts that she could think of from her land to bring to King Solomon. So what does it mean in Revelation 21 that kings and nations will bring splendor, honor, and glory into this city? Or the question I had, why does God even bother to tell us these things? He doesn't have to, right? Why does he bother to tell us? Well, there, I came across two views. The first view of this is that the kings and nations aren't bringing literal riches but rather they're bringing themselves as worshipers so that the glory that they are bringing into city is the glory of them worshiping God. 
And, and make no mistake about it, whether you hold this view or not, the only way that you get into heaven is as a worshiper of God. So when it says that the kings and nations will enter, what we, what we realize is that these are people who have come to worship. As we've already talked about, nothing impure will ever enter. So these are people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and they come into heaven to worship. That's the first view. But I think that there's perhaps a better way to view these verses. And I'm not sure that, that I'm right on this one. But the second view is that these kings and nations somehow bring their treasures into heaven. This kind of lines up with this view we've been talking about, about storing up treasures in heaven. So the, the word picture here that John saw in this vision then is a picture of these treasures being brought into heaven. Um, and it's cool to me to think then that they're bringing in their best splendor. And if we view it that way, it's much like Queen Sheba then, bringing her best gifts to King Solomon. That's what they call tribute. Uh, think of it when... Uh, the, the picture of Jesus' birth and the wise men came from the east and what did they bring? They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh as gifts to the king. Theologian Grant Osborne said the earthly glory that the nations possessed is now being given back to the one who alone deserves it. So they're, they're bringing gifts to the king. And then one more thing that may be true in this view as well and, and I get this both from Revelation 21 and from Isaiah 60 which again you might want to read on your own sometime but it's possible that these gifts are given to God but that also God may give them to us to enjoy that, that God might share them with us as part of the glory of heaven as part of the inheritance that we have in heaven we are called co-heirs with Jesus Christ and it's very possible that we may get to share in some of these gifts. Now, I may have no idea what I'm talking about here. I don't often venture into the land of opinion when I preach. I, I try to just make sure that we're sticking to what I, I know to be true. But, and again, okay, I, I don't want you to hear me wrong on this, but I want to say that it is possible that as we think of some of the best things on earth here, that we may get to enjoy them in some very real way in heaven. And I even think about, you know, possibly things like baseball, or Mountain Dew, things that, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying for sure that I know that there will be these things in heaven. But if you were to ask me, will there be baseball in heaven? I would say, I can't with 100% certainty say no. Because there may be, or there may be something like it, but even better up there. Or something even better than Mountain Dew, if you can imagine that, up in heaven. Uh, the language of heaven in Revelation is a picture it uses language that we can understand to describe something that we can't understand. So again, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't know that that's exactly what these verses are saying. But if you picture heaven as a boring place, think about the God of heaven who has given us things to enjoy here on earth. That same God, how much more will he give us things to enjoy up there with him? Now getting back to certainty, what I know to be true from Revelation 21 and from Isaiah 60, it's, the picture is like that of a victory parade. Sin and the devil and death have been fully defeated and we will get to live in glory with God forever, enjoying things that he has provided for us. And then here's the cool part about this. Is, this is one of the things that I love about heaven. Everything we do there will be an act of worship everything that we get to enjoy there because we will live as perfected people with perfected bodies in a perfect relationship with a perfect God. Everything that we do there will be an act of worship to God. 
the way we're supposed to live our lives here is that whatever we do, we are to work at it with all our heart as if working for the Lord and not for men. We're, we're to do what we do here as an act of worship. So the things we do like, like building a house or doing your math homework, things like that, we are to do to the glory of God now. But in heaven, when perfection comes, all that we do and all that we enjoy will be an act of worship to God. That's what God wants for you. And again, my point isn't just to tell you what you will experience in the future. My point is to urge you to consider that the same God who has revealed all this to us, and he he didn't have to, but that same God wants us to live with him now and to seek him now. So my application point, since we can know this God right now, we should invest our lives fully in getting to know him more and more here and living our lives for him, worshiping him here. That's how we store up treasures in heaven. You ever think about, you know, if you were a wise man back 2,000 years ago and you heard that, that the king of kings was going to be born, would have you gone on that journey? Would have you taken the time and effort to, to set out on that journey to bring one of your best gifts to Jesus and to present it to him? Well, we can give tribute to our king. We do it by walking rightly with him now, by honoring him with our lives, by doing things like changing diapers, or helping your neighbor rake their leaves, or spending time reading your Bible. We can give tribute to our king in that way. Then I'll close with this. Heaven will be better than we can imagine. In heaven we will know God and walk with him. We will glorify God rightly. We will see him for who he is. And I know one thing for sure. When we see God like that, we will deeply desire to worship him. That will be the the overwhelming response of our hearts when we see him will be to thank him and to glorify him and worship him. Our hearts will will overflow. In heaven we will see some awesome stuff. We'll, We'll look at some of that stuff next week. I'm really excited for next week's passage. We'll see some awesome stuff. But even then, the best part about heaven isn't the stuff. It's God himself and our relationship with him. And then the reason, again, to repeat myself for hopefully like the fourth or fifth time this sermon, the reason we're doing this series is not just simply to get a better glimpse of heaven, but to get a better glimpse of the God of heaven and to worship him now. We're going to close with the song, Behold Our God. And I believe that when we see God rightly for who he is, our response will be to worship him. That will happen in heaven. It will happen over and over and over again in heaven. But I want that to happen more and more now, that we get more and more of a glimpse of who God is, that we continually seek after him, and that our hearts would long to praise him. So as we sing this song, and it talks about things like how he created the world in us, let's praise him. As we think about how God sent Jesus for us to rescue us, let's praise him. As we think about how God wants us to walk with him continually now here on earth, let's praise him. And as we think about what heaven will be like, let's praise him now. And really what I want for us to do is to store up treasures in heaven by walking with God rightly, right here, right now, every day for the rest of our lives. The truth of heaven and who God is should cause us to worship right now. So why don't we do that? Why don't you join with me, and then we'll worship. We'll worship in prayer, and then we'll worship in song. Father, thanks for revealing all this to us. It's, it's so wonderful, God, to think about heaven, all the wonderful things there, but also, God, of our our relationship with you made perfect because of who you are. 
We look forward to that, God. We look forward to that day when our sin will no longer get in the way. Right now, God, we ask that you would help us to walk rightly with you. Help us to repent of our sins and to pursue you. To walk with you with wholehearted devotion. May we honor you and bring you tribute. And in doing so, may we store up treasures in heaven. May it be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.